Well, it's great to see you today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and uh, on this Memorial Day weekend, we're so delighted that you're here with us. And we also want to welcome our online campus and our Appleton campus and Germantown campus. Can we do that right now? Just give a warm welcome to all of those. Wherever you're, wherever you're joining us today, we are glad that you're here. If you're up at the lake somewhere, I hope it's not raining on you. Uh, but it's not raining here, and so I'm just saying, don't hate me because you ain't me, all right? So, uh, but it is good, good, good to see you today. We're continuing our series on um, the persecuted church. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn me to Acts chapter 8. Last weekend, we spoke about um, Stephen and how persecution began in chapter 6. And persecution of the church will not end until, until Jesus comes back, quite frankly, according to Scripture. And so uh, there are people that are giving their lives uh, in this world in which we live in, even in the last 24-hour period, uh, just because of the fact that they're followers of Jesus Christ. And so we honor those people uh, this weekend, and we honor those people uh, every day. And, and I think it's important that we think about those. Because we're in America, and we're so blessed, and we don't, we're not persecuted. We may be prosecuted as, as Christians, but we're not persecuted, and it's a completely different, different uh, situation. But there are people who are literally giving their lives, and people that are being called to places that may even require them to give their lives. And some of that's beyond our thinking, but that's my, my goal in this, in this series as we walk through these chapters of Acts, is to look at this and why this is and how this is and, and what our role and responsibility is. We're going to have people on this platform over the course of these couple of weeks that are going to join me and that are actually going to kind of give some context to what we're talking about. Today, as we close out, you'll see a video uh, of, of a young student um, called into missions to do something very specifically in a very, very, very dangerous part of the world. And um, persecuted church. Today we're going to talk about Philip in Acts chapter 8. And because it's interesting as we talk about this and, and we kind of walk through the, these chapters of Acts, we see these characters, these people, that really kind of uh, embody, if you would, a characteristic or, or a, um, an essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, even in the context of being persecuted. And uh, today we're going to look at Philip, and, and I have a question just simply to ask you. So if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down, but this is between you and God. Are you willing? Real simple. Are you willing? If you want to personalize it, you can say, am I willing to blank? Whatever that may mean that God's asking you to do. Am I willing to go? Am I willing to, to leave home? Am I live, willing to... Uh, to whatever it may be. This is a question that I really think is kind of the, the impetus of, of Acts chapter 8. It, it's, it's, it's the characteristic that's embodied here uh, with Philip exemplifies this. And so let's begin reading in Acts chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But Acts chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible says that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered. We're going to come back to that word in just a minute. Throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul, we'll talk about him next weekend, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Now, let's just stop right here. It's, it's interesting to me that God begins to scatter the church. 
He uses that word scatter. And, and when we think of scattered, there's no organization to that. There's no real direction to that. There's no real intention behind that. If something is scattered, you just think it's kind of aimless. If something is scattered, you think it to be non-organized. If something is scattered, you don't think of it as being a systematic uh, 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 issue. But very much to the contrary, God always does things with intention. And in this particular passage of Scripture, we began to see that God is allowing the persecution that's going to hit the church that won't stop and cease until Jesus comes back to actually scatter these Christ followers from Jerusalem and to actually to lead them to Judea, Samaria, and eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's God's way of evangelizing. It's God's way of sending the church out. Because here's the reality about the church in the first century or the church in the 21st century. If we're not careful, the, 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 um, the pull, the gravitational pull, spiritually speaking, in our own lives is always inward. We always naturally think about ourselves. That's the reason why Jesus says to love, uh, to, to love your neighbor as you love you, you as you love yourself. Because you're always naturally going to love yourself, but you're not naturally going to love your neighbor. It's not nice to point, we're in church, right? But you're not always going to love that person that resides next to you, that person that sits across the aisle from you, that person that you work with. You know, uh, Sesame Street would say, who are the people in your neighborhood, the people that you meet each day? So whoever that is, it's not always natural that you would be gravitated towards those people or love those people. Yet, we realize that, that the, how God breaks that internal kumbaya, go-to-hell Christianity that they can begin to foster very easily in the first century is he allows the persecution to push the church out. Historically speaking, the church has never grown or exploded during seasons of prosperity, but only through seasons of persecution. The more persecuted the church becomes, the more it explodes exponentially. The more power that God reveals. The, the, the more prosperity that we have, quite frankly, the lazier that we get, the softer that we get, spiritually speaking. And, uh, and this, the more laid back we become. And so God allows this persecution to drive the church away from Jerusalem, to drive the church out. And he does this intentionally. And, and, and so, but, but, but I want to show you there's two ways that he scatters according to this passage. It's very interesting. First of all, God scatters indirectly, almost haphazardly, almost in a general sense. Look at verse number 4 of Acts chapter 8. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Wherever is not exactly a specific thing, is it? It's just kind of general. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. God didn't tell him to go there. There's no specific uh, revelation that says he should go there. It's just simply, this is what he's going to do. And when the crowds heard Philip, they saw the signs that he pre performed. They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. We see that God marks, God blesses what he's doing, right? But, but... God is kind of scattering him indirectly. It's kind of this, it's this general sense. What do you mean, Aaron? It's like this. Philip is simply following what we would call the Great Commission. He had just weeks before, uh, probably no less than two months to three months, 60 to 90 days before, heard Jesus say these words before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. Make disciples. 
He would have been there when Jesus, when Luke records Jesus' words before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, just within a 60 to 90 day period, when he would say, I, you're gonna be, the Holy Spirit is going to come up on you and you will become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when this scattering takes place, when this persecution takes place, Peter just goes, look, Jesus said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I know where Samaria is. Let's just go to Samaria. It's the same thing that we would hear from the Bible as you begin to read God's word and, and, you, and you read, hey, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself. Well, who are my neighbors? So it's the people that I like and the people that I don't like. So I'm just going to focus on John, the guy that lives across the street. Or I'm going to focus on Sally, the lady that works in the cubicle next to me. Or, or I'm going I'm to focus on Tommy, a kid that I play ball with. And, and I'm just going to begin to love them. Why? Because this is what God's Word says. This is the person that's in my life, and I'm just going to begin to do that. That's what Philip's doing. And God works that way. Most of the time, that's how God works. We read it in Scripture. We hear a sermon about it. We, we, we read a book that is backed up biblically. And, and God begins to just kind of highlight or kind of illuminate, kind of cross our paths with someone. And, and ultimately, for His purpose in our life, we simply do what God wants us to do. It's what we find in the book of, of Acts where they said it was good with us and with the Holy Spirit. If you remember back last weekend, we read the passage where they, they choose the seven men who are going to take care of the Grecian widow women specifically and make sure that everybody gets their fair allotment, especially those that are widowed and, and those that are orphaned and those that are in need amongst them. And they said, it was good to us. If you go back to the original language, it says it was good to us and with the Holy Spirit. Nine times out of ten, when God speaks in your life, that's how it's going to happen. This feels good to me. This is what this seems to be in con consistent with Scripture. It, I, myself, and if you're married, myself and my spouse. If you have kids, you don't have to consult them. Thank God. Amen. Anybody? Okay, good. All right, just make sure you're awake. And so you and your spouse, uh, because one day those kids are going to be gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Praise God. Okay, so anyhow, it's going to happen. God speaking, not your kids leaving. It's going to happen that you're going to begin, and, you're, and, and that's the reason why Galatians says, let the peace of God umpire or rule your heart. This isn't like, look, I would love for, for God just to text me of a morning and say, hey, Aaron, here's what's happening today. You're going to do da-da-da-da, 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 and by the way, there's going to be a check in the mail for da-da-da-da. Holla, right? I mean, I love that, but it doesn't work that way. I would love for God to tell me exactly what to do, and I just follow it. Wouldn't that not be easy? Anybody? Right? Yes, amen. But why does God not work that way? Because there's no faith involved. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. What's faith? Speaking things that are not as though they are. It's a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Amen. So there's got to be faith. And, and that's got to be involved. And so the reality is, is that most time in my life, it's going to be like this. I heard Jesus say it. I read it in his word. This begins to happen in my life. I'm going to go to Samaria. I'm going to go and do X, Y, Z. This is what the door that's open. And I'm going to continue to walk through these sequence of doors. And, and as long as I feel the peace of God, I'm in agreement with my spouse. If I'm married, if you're single, that's where Paul says it's a gift. Amen. It's a gift. And you're able to walk through because you don't have to consult with anybody. You can do whatever you want to do. And you move forward. And so many times we get high-centered on this issue. We get hamstrung on this issue. We, we get paralyzed on this issue. Just do what God told you to do the last time that you felt like he spoke to your heart and move. 
But most of the time, he's not going to speak to you in a still, small voice or in a loud, booming voice. Or there's not going to be fireworks or he's not going to send you a text. He hasn't at least sent me a text yet. But he's going to begin to lead you in a particular direction. You begin to follow that out. Secondly, though, we see in this passage that God not only scatters indirectly, but he scatters directly. I'm playing off this word scatter, and I hope that you kind of pick up on that. But there are times where God speaks specifically, where he speaks uniquely. Theologians call this special revelation. If you really want to get your theological chops going, you can write that down. Where he speaks specifically, he, he speaks supernaturally, he speaks uniquely. And... Uh, but it's always backed up in Scripture. Let me, let me put that caveat there, because some of you really get geeked out about this. Some of you, it really freaks you out. And some of you are like, oh, this is what I'm looking for. I just want God to show up, and the angel of the Lord show around about them when they were greatly afraid. I want to have one of those moments. I want to, I want to hear the booming voice of God. I, I want to see smoke and fire, not like what you see on the platform with the worship team, but I really want to see God just, oh, I want to have that moment. And can I just tell you, that those moments are very few and far between. I've never felt like I've heard the audible voice of God. Some would say that's why you're not godly. I, 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 you know, my critics would say that, but I've never heard the voice of God. But there have been two times in my life that I specifically felt like God specifically told me to do something, and I followed him. And one of those times was to come to Germantown. I'll never forget, Tammy and I both had this overwhelming sense of peace that we were following God. And here's what we felt like that the Lord was just impressing upon our hearts. Not an audible voice, it was just there. I'm going to do a great work in Germantown. I'm going to build a great church in Germantown. And I'm simply asking you to be a part. I'm so glad I said yes. So there are times in your life where God will speak, but they're very, very rare. And people that tell you all the time, well, God told me this, and God told me that, and God told me this, and God told me that. If you ever go, man, Pastor, my antenna's up a little bit on that. It should be. There's a lot of fruits, flakes, and nuts. I'm just telling you. We're not talking about granola, but it works. Holla. I'm just saying. There's a lot of people saying, and the Bible says in the last days, they'll say Jesus is here, and he's over here, and he's doing this, he's doing that. Beware of those people. Why? Go back. How does God work in Scripture? Well, yeah, He works in supernatural. He works in dreams. He works and He speaks. Yes, He does. But over tens and hundreds of thousands of years, there was 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and what we have called the New Testament that God did not speak. Did that mean He was non-existent? Did that mean He was non-powerful? Did that mean that He wasn't the great I Am? No, it just meant that God was silent. And just because God's silent doesn't mean that you're wrong or He's absent. It just means He's silent. So don't run looking for this and for that and the supernatural confirmation here or there. But when you say, I felt like God told me to do X, Y, Z, it needs to follow up with Scripture. I have this from time to time. God really told me that I'm supposed to divorce my spouse. Okay, well, walk me through that one. That's always worth like a, you just get like a big gulp from 7-Eleven and a big bag of Doritos. This is going to be a fun story. So they're going to tell you, all this stuff, and then they're going to basically play the God card, which is the ace. And at that point, the only thing that I or you, anybody hearing that, says, well, either God's a liar or he's schizophrenic because his word says one thing and you're saying another, or you're a liar. 
with your fighting words where I come from. So I'm a lover, not a fighter, right? That's why you get a face like this, because I'm not in the ring all the time. And so I don't want to fight you. But you go back to what does the Bible say? See, well, I'm just not happy. And so I just, and then, but I met this other person, and they make me happy. And I think Jesus wants me to be happy. And so thus I deduct that God wants me to divorce and marry this person. That holds no theological water whatsoever. Now, the Bible says that you become, the two become one. And with the exception of adultery or adulterous affair, there is no separation there. That's a serious issue. Yes, it is. And so I'm speaking very simply to a very complicated issue. I actually preached a message on this, and some of you I can go, the wheels are turning. And so if you have questions, we can simply archive. That's all on the, the, the website, and you can go and access that. I think it was last fall that I did that message and go right back to what did Jesus say about this issue. My point to you is, is that sometimes we can try to make the Bible say what we want it to say, but it's not what it says. And there are other times that we can try to play the God card, and it's not God at all. Because if God speaks, he is consistent. He, is, he says of himself, I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. I do not change, Malachi chapter 3. So, what God did in Genesis, all the way through maps at the end of your Bible, he can do. And if it doesn't find its context there, then that's not of God. Period. And God did, he did some, quiet, some stuff, we're going to read it here. But he speaks directly and specifically is really what I want you to understand today. Look at verse 26 of chapter 8, speaking of Philip. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. So God speaks. Go south, yea, verily. I read that every February, and I say to myself, Self, that's the Lord. They need a church in Boca Raton. Hallelujah. Never says go north, just says go south. Go south to the desert road. That means I need to go to Arizona, Scottsdale. Oh, I feel Jesus. Okay, anyhow, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on the way, he met an Ethiopian, an important official in charge of the treasury of all of the, of, of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man has gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way back home, he's sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. The prophet, the spirit, of Philip, uh, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. I love verse 31. It's my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. The greatest compliment any pastor will, will receive is not that was deep, not that was stirring. It was, I understood what you said. That's what ministry is all about. Verse, uh, verse 32 uh, verse 30, the rest of verse 31, he, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading was this, quote, he was led like a, like, like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before it sheared is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passive scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And they traveled along the road. They came to some water. The eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Verse 38, excuse me, 39 is amazing to me. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took 
Philip away. That's like total Star Trek right there. He was vaporized, translated someplace else. The eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared. I cannot say the name of this town. Uh, I'm from Arkansas, so work with me, people. Anyhow, and he traveled about teaching and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I want to go back to this really quickly. We're talking about God speaking, uh, speaking directly. First of all, I want you to understand that God does speak. And there are times where he will speak in your life, and he will speak directly. And that's okay. Don't get wigged out by that. And there, but when he does, he typically doesn't give you the full enchilada. When he directed Tammy and I to come to Germantown, he didn't tell us that the Appleton campus was going to be a part of it or what God was actually going to do or the shopping center that we were leasing and about to get kicked out of uh, 12 and a half years ago with nobody, no, no fault to anybody here. It was just the, the lease had not been renewed and no one knew. And so that was my first intera interaction with, uh, with the village of Germantown here. Hi, my name's Aaron. So anyhow, it was one of those moments. And, and, and little did we know that from there, God didn't give us the full enchilada. All we knew is that God said, this is where you're supposed to go. And in my life, God didn't say go south. God said go north. And I'll never forget being in Bloomington Normal, having breakfast that morning with a U-Haul completely packed and my wife upstairs asleep and me thinking to myself, man, it's cold here. And, I have, and I've got a few more hours north yet to go. An older gentleman was having breakfast, and he said, Son, what are you doing? And I said, Well, I'm on my way uh, to Milwaukee. He says, Is that your U-Haul out there? I said, Yes, sir. He goes, You're going the wrong direction, son. <laughs> I said, Are you from there? He goes, Yep, but I'm on my way south, and I won't be back this way till next spring. Such wisdom. <laughs> God doesn't tell you everything. He just gives you what you need to know, and you begin to follow it. But notice, as Philip follows the leading of the Holy Spirit as he started out and he, and he crossed paths with this Ethiopian then the Spirit said go to the chariot verse 29 God gives you more and more and more he reveals that word revelation means to reveal he reveals more and more of himself and of what he wants you to do as you go along that's the reason why I say Galatians 6 9 and 10 is so important in the life of a Christ follower don't become weary in well-doing for in due season if you don't quit You'll have your reward. The most spiritual thing you can do is just don't quit. I tell people, I resign every Monday. But before I resign, I say to myself, self, I can do this one more week. So if you see me in Starbucks by myself on a Monday morning, don't come talk to me. I'm still having that conversation with Jesus till I finish that cup of coffee, right? It's, it's part of that deal. Just don't quit. Don't become weary and well-doing. Don't quit. Because in due season, if you don't quit, you'll have your reward. But if you quit, you're going to lose it. Just stay involved. It doesn't mean about being perfect, just about... And so Philip is just going. Now, I want you to check this out. This Ethiopian, he's got some, he's got some money. He's got a chariot. He's got a chariot driver. Because he says to the driver, pull over. So let's put this in 21st century language. Because chariot, we like, I don't even know what that means. What that look like? Is this? I mean, you have like, like, like you know, uh, mental images of Russell Crowe. And like, uh, you know, and the gladiator and... And when you're seeing me, that kind of helps confirm those images. And I get it. Really, I do. But, but think of it, 21st century version. He has a driver in a black Lincoln town car. Now, we know that Philip doesn't have a horse or a chariot, right? So he's on his feet. So imagine, like, if you've been in a major crowded metropolitan area or you've been anywhere and you've ever been picked up, taken anywhere, 
if people come around to the windows, especially if you're in developing nations, uh, they'll come to the windows, knock on the windows, want you to roll the window down, and the rule of thumb is do not, because they're wanting money, uh, they're, they're, they're wanting something from you, they're trying to sell something, whatever. So this is what's being played out. Uh, 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 this chariot's going along, and the Ethiopian, he is reading, and, and the fact that he can, he, he's, you know, in that day and time in the first century, the fact that you were literate meant, meant you were someone that was somebody. I mean, you, you, you had a certain standing in society. And, and then he has a chariot, he has a driver, you know, so he's doing this. And what Philip has is his legs. So, he's, so the Holy Spirit says, just run up to him and stay up with him. Has God ever asked you to do something that's a bit awkward? That would be awkward. You people read that like, oh, this is so spiritual. Go to the chariot and stay near it. Like he's just going to go and just stand by the chariot. No, it's a black Lincoln town car. He, he's leaving the, 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 the Marriott Marquise and, and to Times Square, and he's pulling out on his way to JFK because and, and he's going back home, and all of a sudden, Philip is running. Remember the $6 million man? He's running, and, and the guy's like, and they're having this conversation. At any point in time, the, the, the Ethiopian could be like, dude, keep driving. There is some crazy Jewish guy trying to run me down, right? He's Jewish. So, no, he's, he, he has this conversation. And Philip understands, this is why I'm here. And all of a sudden, that opens the opportunity. Come in and get in, the, get in the chariot with me. Driver, keep driving. Get in the chariot with me and explain this to me. And he explains to him who Jesus is. And on the way... They see the body of water, and he says, can I be baptized? And he tells the driver, pull over, I'm going to go get baptized. I mean, in the context of our today's world, he would have had on a, a, a completely full suit, Italian loafers. The whole, I mean, you have to think in terms of what this was. The fact that he even had parchment and scroll with him that he's reading Isaiah... He had to be someone. This is just not something that they did. And he gets baptized, which would have been incredibly radical. And in that moment, verse 39, and this is one of the things in Scripture we don't know how to explain. I'm just going to tell you, when I get to heaven on the IMAX, this is what I want to see. All of a sudden, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, boom, comes up out of the water. Peter's gone. Excuse me, Philip's gone. And, and he... He, he's over here in the name of the town I can't, on his way to Caesarea, right? Like, that would be like me. I'm going to do a baptism in two weeks right over here, and I'm baptizing someone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then I'm gone. And they found him at China Kitchen Buffet, right? I mean, it would be like that with me, right? <laughs> like, how'd you get, I don't know, man. All of a sudden, dude, I'm sitting here eat, eating egg rolls. This is awesome. It's amazing. Praise Jesus. I don't get it. I don't ask these questions. I just follow Jesus. That's what's happening. We don't understand it. I can't explain it to you. I don't even know why God did it. I just think it's so stinking cool. The word stinking is found in Hezekiah 5.3. It's a great word to look up. I just want you to get this, though. The reason why God speaks to him specifically is because Philip was willing to go. And willingness is what God wants. Willingness is what God's looking for. From you and from me. See, it's not whether I go. It's whether I'm willing to go. The persecuted church, it wasn't, it wasn't what happens. It's am I willing? 
Am I willing to be scattered generally? Am I willing to be scattered directly? Am I willing to go uh, indirectly? Am I willing to go directly? Am I willing to just follow the voice of Jesus and go? Am I willing to listen to the voice of God as he speaks and go? The going is up to God, but the willingness, the heart of the matter, that's up to me. And the Bible says that God looks on, the man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. And there are times in our lives where God just simply says, are you willing? Will you go? Will you go to the hard places? Will you go to the places that it's going to take a lifetime? Will you go to the places that's going to take you 20 years to become an overnight success? Will you go to the places where your name's not in lights and no one's going to know you? Will you go and do the things that everybody else in this world will say crazy? Will you go? Will you be a fool for Jesus? Will you run alongside the chariot until he notices you because I've told you to go? Will you just trust me with your life? And even when there are things that are completely unexplainable in your world that are completely backed up by Scripture, will you trust me? That's part and characteristic of the persecuted church. They were willing to be scattered indirectly, and directly. They were willing to go wherever God told them, and they were willing to do what he said. And the same is true of us today. We may never be persecuted in this country, but God may call you to go. He may call me to go. And I want to end today with you seeing this video of a student from Life Church in college now, and what God's asking of her in this ideology in this theology of being willing. Check this out. Well, Lydia, I just wanted to take a couple minutes uh, this afternoon. Thanks for dropping by the church. And for those of you that don't know, Lydia uh, was, she's, this is her hometown in Germantown. She graduated from Germantown High School. Uh, she's a senior this fall at University of Minnesota, uh, majoring in music therapy. Yes. I say that right? Okay, yes. good. She also was an intern with us uh, here at Life Church um, two summers ago, and uh, nobody drives a golf cart like you, Lydia. So you still have like the you're it on that. Yes. But the reason I want you to come by and talk today is not about your internship or music therapy or where you are. It's your heart for missions, your heart for for God, really. So you had a really cool opportunity this summer uh, to, to go to a very interesting place in the world. Uh, talk to us a little bit about where's this opportunity and uh, kind of especially a lot of the series that we know in the persecuted church. Okay, so the organization is called Harvesters Reaching the Nations and it's in South Sudan. They have two locations and two orphanages at each location. Um, and I would be going to the one in Terakeka, it's called, is the city that it's in. Um, and I would just be serving the orphanage there, so it would be a short-term missionary. Um, they don't really have anyone doing music there right now, so that's going to probably be one of the main focuses. Okay, so talk to me about this, because okay. you, you explained it to me Sunday about uh, there's a lot of people that want to go to orphanages, there's a lot of people that want to, they want to, you know, they want to serve in a feeding line, they want to do that, but you explained to me a, a real, there was a there was a reason why you felt like you were supposed to go there, kind of a door and an opportunity. Explain yeah. that a little bit. I just think that there's a need there, and I know that 
I'm not this amazing person or that I'm capable of so much, but I know that God has shown me harvesters and I'm someone that can go. I have the opportunity to go. So they need, there's no one doing music there for their staff meetings. They're just listening to like a, a recording on the computer. Um, I'm studying music. I have a guitar. I know how to play. Like I know that I can do the things they need. So that's why I want to go. I know I have these skills no one else knows or is trying to go there right now, but I know that I am. So I just want to serve them in that way, in the way that I've been studying for three years now. And I know that the Lord has me studying this for a specific reason and has given me these gifts to go and to use them for him, not for me, but for him. Very cool. What about, talk to me a little bit about, I mean, you're this blonde haired, blue eyed girl, sweet, kind Lydia from Germantown, Wisconsin, upper Midwest. Uh, and then you're talking about South Sudan. Yeah. It is part of what we are talking about, uh, you know, at the church. It's, it's a hotbed of all types of Muslim activity, radical Islamist activities, not exactly a place for a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, fair-skinned girl yeah. of all places to be. Tell me, first of all, you. Why, why, why are you so confident that God wants to use you when you're so opposite of everything that's there? If you feel a calling to go somewhere and you have faith that the Lord's going to keep you in his will, then you need to go. And yeah, I don't fit the bill. Like, I have a really privileged life. I was born in this wonderful neighborhood, and it seems odd to people that I would want to go to this really dangerous place. But I think if you feel a calling like to a certain place, you just have to go and trust that God's going to take care of it. And he uses people that are different. You know, I'm going to be different in that country, but that's okay because God is with me. And, you know, he does the impossible with people that people have doubts about them. I think people have doubts about me going. So talk to me now about, uh, you had some, you're ready to go Saturday. Um, you, uh, you had some interesting news this week. Yeah. So two days ago, they called me to cancel the trip. Uh, they, we were trying up to the last minute. Like I've been getting the advisories that it's been dangerous or it's getting more dangerous, but I still was like, I want to go. I'm going to go. I know I told you, I was like, I'm going until I can't go anymore. And they feel like me being a young American would be a target, and they just don't feel comfortable with sending me. So do you think that even these parts of it are God's using? Yeah, I mean, I have to believe that because then... I believe that for all my life, but then when something goes wrong or something doesn't go as I had planned it, I can't just be like, oh, well, God's not in it anymore. It just means it didn't go according to my plan, but it's, it's still his plan. Anything you would say to somebody that maybe they're a, a young adult, maybe they're in junior high, high school, they feel a calling in their life, they feel like God's asking them to do something, or they're in college, maybe they're dealing with fear, maybe they're, they, they're, they're just anxious to get there. What would you say to someone from your stage in the journey? I would say just continue to pursue that passion. I think that we all have a passion and a purpose, and you just need to follow it no matter what, and you just have to be willing to, to do it, to follow it, even if the odds are stacked against you. You have God on your side. And even if things don't go as planned, right, like you still have to believe that you're in his will, that you belong to him, and maybe 10 years you're going to find out why something happened. Maybe you're never going to find out. Right. What do you say to... Maybe a mom or a dad who has a son or a daughter come to them the way you did to your mom and dad yeah. and just say, this is what I feel like God wants me to do. Uh, thoughts, advice? I think that you just 
you should ask them if they prayed about it for sure and like ask them if they have heard from the Lord but then if they do if they say that they have then you just need to trust them and you need to give them up to the Lord which my parents did do and I'm so thankful for that um, I think sometimes people doubt people that are younger or they think they're naive which we probably are but at the same time like if you hear from God then you hear from God no matter how old you are they can be ministered like with God through their kids also. It's not just parents ministering to their kids. So it's the same level of willingness for you to go, you also then to release your children. Yeah, yeah. You are obviously their parents for a reason, so you're part of their story. Cool. Hey, thanks for sharing with us today. You're welcome. Appreciate it.